Yeah, so we're speaking about work and rest, and uh, I got uh, an email from Hannah inviting me to do this, and I read the notes, um, uh, the, the notes about what to speak about today, and included this wonderful sentence: "Our work should be joyful and thriving, an essential part of human flourishing and worship of God." And I almost said no. You <laughs> see, I well remember the, the, uh, my best day, my happiest day in my last job. I've been there for 12 years, and in January 2016, we all got called into a meeting, the whole department, um, in one of the special lecture rooms that are set aside. And there we got in, a whole bunch of managers at the front, looking very nervous, flanked by HR, to tell us we've been made redundant. Was my happiest day. There. <laughs> Dare I say this? The happiest day for most of the people there. It was not a job that caused me a great deal of joy or caused me to thrive. It was an essential part of my human flourishing. It, uh, a job that really uh, took uh, an awful lot out of me. But I learned a lot of lessons in that, and I hope to um, show, uh, speak about some of what those are um, as we go through. Um, go through today. Now the interesting thing is, I'm not alone in finding uh, my job very difficult. There's a survey put out by YouGov uh, in autumn last year showing that we said how many people hated their jobs. Please note how strong the word is. Any guesses what the, what the percentage was? Any guesses? 50%? 60%? bit higher? 75. How much? 75. You would think it's 75 that this would be a major national crisis, wouldn't you? The government would be taking action. In fact, it was higher than that even. It was 85% of people hated their jobs. Incredible. Um, Claire was listening to a TED talk from uh, various executives of companies, and 80% of those didn't like their jobs. They found no meaning or purpose in that. Uh, one of my, the job I had that I didn't like was uh, in insurance, by the way, as a claims handler. And one of my clients was a food processing company. And uh, they were very realistic about the work that they were providing, the level of absenteeism they were going to get, and how many claims were going to come through. Um, they basically were, a lot of the um, ready meals that you eat were produced by them. And they also had people on the factory line, filling these boxes, packing them away. It's not my idea of fun, it wasn't my idea of fun for most of the people there. It was the only job they had uh, available in, in towns uh, around the country. Um, there's an awful lot of work which has not caused us to thrive. Indeed, it sounds a bit like Genesis 3. Remember what God said in Genesis 3 after the fall. Cursed is the soil for your sake. With painful toil you'll bring forth your crops. The sweat of your brow, and there'll be thorns and thistles. And this seems to be a lot of people's experience of work. But is that really what God wants for us? And I think the answer has to be no. We know that God wants us to thrive in our and to thrive in our work, whether that's out in the office, in a factory, or whether we're working at home, looking after the children. God has called us to thrive there. He tells us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, here on earth as it is in heaven. Here on earth, in our workplaces, at home, his kingdom come. So what uh, are the things of kingdom and of work that we should see? 
But if you look in Genesis 1, don't, don't turn to this verse, because I'm going to flip through uh, various bits of this, otherwise we'll be reading three chapters here, and it's um, a little bit too much to fit in today. So we're, we're familiar with uh, these verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered it, was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, what else did he say? Let the waters teem with living things, and there were living things teeming in the water. God said, let there be a sun in the sky, and a moon, and a moon there at night, and there was, and so on through creation. God said, and it was. But does that sound like work that I've experienced? Well, we know it was work, because a little bit later we read, by the seventh day, God had finished his work. That was God's work. So let's take a few things from how God worked there. So firstly, does it sound like it was stressful? Or hard work? Backbreaking labour? Well, no, actually. It doesn't. It sounds like there was an ease in that for God. All he did was speak a word. Um, we find that God had work here that had limits. So six days God worked, and on the seventh he rested. We find God worked with authority, so by the word of his power, the word of his authority that he created, he simply spoke and things happened. We find out too that the work was very relational as well, that God worked Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together in creation. And more than that, part of what he did was to create human beings, Adam and Eve, with whom he had relationship. We also find that here that God is working with the material. So, God used his hands to sculpt the human body. He dug a garden. He planted an orchard. He even, when the time came, tailored clothes. So work is, God's work was very practical as well. There was no, if you like, separation between some very spiritual thing and something that was very material, secular. There's supposed to be no separation there. It's not some um, uh, height of work to be in ministry or be an ordained minister or anything like that. It's simply a different call. Working out in the workplace is just as valuable, uh, just as high a call for God. Now, that's a few things from God's work. What about our work? Well, we'll read a few verses here in Genesis 1, which is um, 26 to 28. You can turn to it if you like. <clears throat> then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let, let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man who created people in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature on the ground. So God said, Let us make these people in our image. It's very tempting for us as Christians to read back into that statement about Trinity. In fact, it's more like a royal we. So the Queen says, we are not amused. She 
speaking about myself singular, but we are not abused. And it, one way of reading this is that this is God emphasizing the majesty of who he is. Let us make these people in our image. Now, this is the only point in creation that we have this. All the rest of creation, there's God. Uh, I don't know. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it's the only point that God's emphasizing his majesty. I suppose in emphasizing his majesty as he creates us, and as he creates people, not the rest of creation, then he's giving us a place. He's giving us a place before him. He's giving us a position over the rest of creation. And he's giving us a dignity as human beings. So we are made, it says here, in the image of God he made us, as the image of this majestic God. Now, in the same breath he's saying, let us make them in our image, he gives us a job as well. So there's a dignity and a purpose in our work that God gave us. And we read here about us having authority over the earth, about being fruitful and multiplying, possibly the only uh, occasion in which uh, our bodies naturally want to um, obey what the command of God. We find things about our work as well. So it's be creative and have um, a variety um, it has limits. So yes, God said, be, be, uh, have dominion over the earth. But then we read in Genesis 2 that that was limited. A limit was placed on that. We're put into the Garden of Eden. And even in Eden, there was a little bit of a limit placed. So not that tree. And I can tell you about the problems of, of not having limits, not, allowing, uh, not having proper limits on our work. I, I, I used to work. Uh, in a different job at a 70 hour week and I burnt out as a result. Work and rest, they need to be in balance. We find here this idea of having dominion or authority. Now we can be a bit afraid of, the, of this word because we've abused it so much. We've abused our authority over nature, have we not? Uh, and in the process of destroying what God has given us here, but with, uh, even as we have authority over others, we see abuse after abuse after abuse. And yet, when we look at the, the dominion and the authority that God gave us here, we find something completely different. In um, Genesis 2, verse 5, and God said, There was no shrub yet appeared on the earth, and no plant in the field, for God had not yet sent the rain, and there's no man to work, or no people there to work the ground. So before they could have dominion and authority and cause the land to produce, they had first to care for it and to till the ground. They had to care for it, they had to tend it. Now those of you who've had allotments, I used to have an allotment, my, uh, my five rods over which I had dominion. I know, 125 square metres I think, something like that. I know that if I cared for that land, it would produce. But when I didn't care for it, my crops were bad. There were measly little carrots and parsnips came out. My rhubarb was awful if it produced anything. And the weeds, the bind weeds, took over everything. So we find uh, an authority there, but a completely different form of authority on the work that, uh, that God gives us. Um, we find that um, our work is supposed to be relational as well. We're called to do it together. Adam and Eve together till the garden. And Best of all, 
God walked through that garden with them as they worked. It's one of my favourite phrases in the Bible. Unfortunately, it comes at a bad moment. God was looking for Adam and Eve after they, when they hid from him, after they'd eaten of the fruit. But God walked through the cool of the day in the garden looking for them. It's a wonderful um, uh, idea of God looking for people, walking with them, and just the ease and the rest at the end of the day. So that's uh, some ideas about us and our work. But you've noticed that there's no mention there of thorns and thistles and sweat on your brow, um, cursed as a ground. Not at that stage. This is God's ideal for work. And the question I suppose is, how do we get back there? How, if you have a job like I had, do we get back to a place of work like it should have been in Eden? But I want to just look at the relationship aspect of this. And I want to look uh, at a book, which uh, a person I suppose many of you will have come across, called Brother Lawrence. So he was uh, a 17th century monk in France, and wrote a little book. There we go, you can read it in an hour, The Practice of the Presence of God. I suspect some of you come across it. It's often thought of a book about prayer and about spirituality, and indeed it is that. But in the preface to its very first edition, it said, All readers, whatever your occupation, will find profit in this book, for in it you are made a brother busy as you are in outward activity, but a brother who, in the middle of all the demanding tasks, have learned how to write contemplation to activity. It's a book about the workplace, first and foremost, because in the workplace, Brother Lawrence applied all of, all of his principles of prayer and relationship. Now, this man, he was, uh, he was born into abject poverty. He had no privilege. He went to be uh, a mercenary simply in order to get uh, food to eat. He, as a, a result of his time as a mercenary, he uh, received an injury and was made lame. So he was physically disabled. It's, there are also some people who think he was a bit simple-minded as well. Uh, so he had all sorts of disadvantage, and he wanted to go into the monastery, believe it or not, to, uh, as punishment, because uh, this crazy idea that they had at the time that you could purge your sins through earthly suffering. Um, frankly, this is not what we teach today. We're not, we're not flagellants, uh, whipping ourselves to purge our sins. Um, we have somebody else who's taken our sins for us, haven't we? Who took the punishment for our sins and cleansed us, and in the process restored us to a place of dignity and wholeness before God, and restored us to our place before creation. That's Jesus. In case you're wondering. Anyway, so Brother Lawrence, he wanted, he wanted, he had a job in the uh, in the monastery, which was completely unsuitable for him. It was in the kitchens. And he said, he even said, I had a great aversion to this job. But somebody was lame, and yet he had to carry a load of things around. Somebody was a little bit simple-minded, and yet he had to do a lot of planning. It was a job, if any job that was going to stress me out, that would be that, because it was so unsuitable for him. And anyway, here's one of his testimonies from how he did his work. He says this, recently I went to Burgundy to buy, buy the wine provisions for the monastery which I had joined. This is a very unwelcome task to me. I have no natural business ability and, being lame, I cannot get around the boat except by rolling over the casks. That's how lame he was. Nonetheless, this matter 
gave me no uneasiness, nor did the purchase of the wine or the business transactions he had to do. I told the Lord that it was his business that I was about, and afterwards I found the whole thing performed. All done. And so it came, and so it is so in the kitchen, a place to which I have a great natural aversion. I've accustomed myself to doing everything there for the love of God. On all occasions, with prayer, I found my work easy during the 15 years in which I've been employed there. In fact, he went on to say just how disappointed he was about that. Uh, felt God had cheated him a bit. He wanted to be punished to purge sins. And in fact, he found this work really enjoyable. Work that should have been something very stressful for him, he found great enjoyment in. And so what was his method? Well, it was really, really simple. There were at the time, and I think we'll find even today, a lot of people who want to make prayer difficult. They want us to go through this process to get to that place, in order to get to that place, in order to get to that place. The seven steps of prayer, if you like, uh, or, or whatever else it might be. And yet Brother Lawrence was scathing of that. He had just simplicity. I always have God before me. I always have the love of God before me. I always do these things for the love of God. I talk to God at all times and in all tasks. It was simple. And really it is simple to come before God, to be in his presence. We don't need three quick songs and two songs, two slow songs to know his presence, do we? Actually, it's as simple as just setting our mind on him. And in, the and in an instant, we can do that. However, it might be a really simple thing, and yet, Brother Lawrence would say, very difficult as well. It took him years upon years upon years of practice to do this all the time. I was reading somebody's blog um, about how, how they tried to apply Brother Lawrence's principles and he said it was the most difficult thing they'd ever had to do and yet it made everything else easy. Doing everything with God and for God. The result was, and I love this, that peeling potatoes was more essential to Brother Lawrence's spiritual growth than attending the chapel of sacraments in the Abbey. He found peeling potatoes more spiritual than going to church. <laughs> Dare I say if you can find peeling potatoes, if you can find God in the peeling potatoes, we can find him in the sending of an email, or the packing of a box on a, on a production line, or that most godforsaken of all tasks, the ironing of clothes. <laughs> Time. I am this shirt, it's the first one I've done in uh, months. <laughs> There's one good thing our government could do, I think, it could le legislate to ensure that all clothes are made of non iron material. I've done it once and for all. Uh, it'd be a wonderful environmental measure, would it not? Save the energy on the iron. Um, anyway, <laughs> the interesting thing about this is that he was a very simple man, he had all the disadvantage in the world. And yet, as a result of what he did, the great men and women of the time came to see him for his advice, for his wisdom, because they knew that he practiced God's presence and he listened to God all the time. Simple man, 
great disadvantage, and yet the great people came to see him because he exuded God's presence. It's interesting that his witness, it, 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 it reminds me of uh, St. Francis, um, who I probably misquote slightly in saying, preach the gospel by all means, occasionally even speak. Brother Lawrence preached the gospel by how he did his job. Um, in case you think it's just for the poor and the disadvantaged, well, when we were down south, we, we had a, a friend down there um, called Roger, Roger Green, he's written a book about his experience in the workplace. Uh, I really recommend it. Adam's got um, loads of copies going free of charge when he's back from his honeymoon. Uh, Roger was a chief executive in the NHS back in the days when the uh, internal market was introduced, before some of you were born, I, I suspect, back in the, in the 90s. Roger was very, very successful at his job. He was a, a rising star in NHS management. His trust was one of the highest performing. He wasn't unsuccessful. He wasn't disadvantaged. But he's very honest that the key to him doing that job so well was he brought God into his workplace. He prayed, but he didn't just bring a petition before God. He prayed and he listened. And sometimes he obeyed as well. And when he obeyed, it, part of the testimony in the book is that he wasn't always very good at doing the listening. But when he did the listening, his trust performed above and beyond expectations. Instead of finding a deficit, as almost every NHS trust did, he actually had a surplus. And that is a problem if you're working in the public sector. You're not allowed to have surpluses. So he had this wonderful problem of how to spend this extra money and with only uh, six weeks at the end of the financial year to spend it. Um, I could give you a little bit of my own testimony. But my first job, which was actually a wonderful job, was just over the road there in what's now called DIG. It was called the Archaeological Resource Centre at the time. Uh, snappy title. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was a groundbreaking museum, you know. Um, first of its kind ever, and uh, been copied worldwide. But anyway, I, I went there, uh, I, I was due to go on holiday, I had one day left to do that, but um, so I uh, got my work planning so wrong that I had two and a half days work left to do in that one day. I, I knew exactly how long it was going to take, I had to do a stop take in the shop, I knew that would take a day by itself, I had to put a new warp on the loom and uh, do my stint on the floor, managing uh, the activities area, the, the, the displays. And I had no idea how I was going to do that. But a thought came back to my mind. And it was about this king in, in uh, the Old Testament, I forget whether it's Israel or Judah now. Um, he had armies coming against him, too great to fight. And it was Jehoshaphat. Three armies came against Israel. They couldn't fight, yet God promised them. Um, the battle is mine, the victory is yours. And I went into work with that, that hope somehow God was going to move. Guess what? I went home early that day because I'd got everything finished. Two and a half days' work to do in a day, and I went home early. It was one, it was one of the um, real staging problems of my walk of faith, seeing God act like that. But when I was at, uh, in working with this insurance company, I tried doing something like this to practicing the presence of God. I, it was hard. But at one stage I was setting my alarm to go off every hour. And every hour I'd sit at my desk, just for a few moments, sitting in his presence, 
trying to focus myself back on him, not on all these um, snotty letters from solicitors and whatever else I was dealing with. And it did make a difference, I have to say. It was a, a job on which a lot of people were going off and um, getting signed off with stress. And I know that I was heading down that way. But somehow God got me through, through my spending time, just to take, just to take that moment to remember him. So God does want to be with us in our workplaces. He does want to partner with us there. There is rest in work. And as Brother Lawrence proved, there's more than just rest there. And there's joy in really grotty jobs as well. I, I wish, I look back and I wish I persisted with this more and had a better testimony to give you on it. He got me through the worst times by doing this. But how much better I could have made it. I could have been in a place of joy, uh, exuding God's presence as Brother Lawrence was. But imagine if we were all to do this in our workplaces. How the atmosphere there, the dynamics would completely change. Imagine us doing that there and exuding God's presence and seeing people come to us and asking why. Not through our preaching, but just through how we're doing our work joy we find there. What we all began to do that. We see church changed, all the people coming in, we see our workplaces changed. Could be a wonderful thing. We can work from a place of rest and we can know God's kingdom back in our workplaces.